For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Daily routines went out the window in March when the coronavirus pandemic upended our lives as we knew them. One of the biggest adjustments for many New Yorkers was the sudden shutdown of our school buildings. Is public health. I decided to close the public schools because I believed it was safer to close the schools. The announcement by the governor in mid-March left teachers, parents and students trying to figure out how to pick up the school year from home. And now, planning's underway on how to safely reopen our schools. What will school look like this fall? Joining me to talk about the future of schools is the president of New York State United Teachers and a vice president of the New York State AFL-CIO, Andy Pallotta. Andy, thank you for joining me on the Union Strong podcast. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Can you start by explaining to our listeners who NYSIT is and who it is that you represent? Well, NYSIT is an organization, a union that represents over 600,000 members statewide, and we represent members in education and in healthcare. And I wanted to start out, too, by saying just congratulations on the overwhelming show of support of our schools with the majority of the school budgets approved by voters in an unprecedented vote-by-mail process this year. That was fantastic. Sure. This was the first time that was ever done, and um, I believe that the vote by mail um, really had a lot of folks voting that that, um, haven't voted um, in a long time or thought about it. I think it was about three times the amount of folks that voted. So um, I believe that the basically 99% of budgets that pass shows the value, the, um, the vital role that public schools play in communities throughout the state. Yeah, that's fantastic. So this has been a school year like no other. Um, So I wanted to take a moment just to look back at that sudden shift from classroom learning to online learning. What an adjustment that was. What what did you learn from that experience? It sure was a tremendous adjustment. You talk about millions of students not going into brick and mortar schools and having to go online. Um, Many did go online. Um, schools had done a, a, a certain amount of preparing for it, but I, I don't think anybody was truly prepared for going completely um, remote learning. That was a very big switch, and um, we we believe that everyone did their part to make it through the rest of this school year in as best a way as possible. So one of the things that it exposed, though, is that inequality among school children, right, who didn't have access to technology. Can you talk to me about that? Sure. The technology divide that is very uh, visible now in our state was really uh, just an incredible mountain that folks had to climb. So whether it was in a rural area where there was no um, Internet service and students didn't have it and Educators, teachers had to drive to the school to get on their Wi-Fi so they could communicate with the students that did have the ability to get online or in other places, simply um, putting the lessons in boxes and then delivering them with the school buses to students in their in their area. So how many students didn't have an iPad or a Chromebook or a personal computer? 
everything came very clear that there is not one size fits all when it comes to how we educate in the state, how we spend on educating, and what was missed, the inequality that has been there all along, and I think it was right in everyone's faces. You know, I didn't even think about that. I hadn't heard about that. So you did find a workaround in some cases. So you had the lesson plan and things physically driven to students who couldn't have, who didn't have access to that technology? Right. That was done. And I um, visited several school districts during the um, uh, time when they couldn't come to school. And not only were lessons put in, you know, these really nice manila envelopes and dropped off, but also a lot of lunches. So we visited schools. We visited um, schools in Albany, Taconic Hills, and Ilium. And what they did was they brought um, lunches. They had prepared thousands and thousands of lunches for students that um, needed them and deserved them. And they would drop off the lunch at the house, and uh, parents would come out and get them. And it kept that vital connection going Mm -hmm. also. So between the lunches and the uh, the lessons for the week, and then they would be collected, it was it was working. But we, we like to describe it as a spare tire, right? This technology and the way things were done, um, it it got us through a, a crisis, but it could never replace that face to face instruction that takes place in a classroom. Well, that's a good way to put it. So now, as you look toward reopening school facilities, and frankly also plan for the possibility of shutting them down again. How do you make sure access to education is equitable for every student? That's got to be one of your priorities, I would imagine. That is our priority. Number one, we want to make sure that all schools are safe. We've always had that as our priority, safe and healthy. So has the school building been cleaned? Is it sanitized? Um, Is it ready for students? Is, is it set up for social distancing? We all know the six-foot rule, but uh, in my 24 years of teaching, there was no such thing as social distancing. You had usually four desks um, clustered together, so that will have to end. And when you have something like 25 or 30 students in a class, how do you get six feet between them? So this is something where I'm sure districts are working on it, the state is working on it. The chancellor is working on it. Everybody's trying to get answers to these um, questions before school opens. We don't want anyone stepping into a school that we don't see as safe and healthy. And I know a lot of this right now, it is just questions because you have everybody's got to figure this out. It's brand new. So when you even talk about social distancing, and that's not even in the build, just the buildings, but it's also, you know, with the buses. Um, have there has anybody any other uh, even country or other states any kind of models that um, is making sense whether it's a staggered school day or I don't know in a in a gym instead of a classroom what are some of the things being kicked around? Well, one one of the main problems was transportation. So where there might have been thirty or even forty kids on a bus, how do you now do that when they're supposed to be six feet between each student? So. Uh, transportation, cafeteria operations, how is that done? We've seen um, photographs, we've read articles about how they're doing um, social distancing in schools in Europe and how um, they're measuring between desks and the kids will um, not have a mask on in in class, but as soon as they 
stand up from their desk. They have to put the mask on. If they go from class to class, they would rather have the teachers come from class to class rather than the students going. So you're having so many less people moving around. So scheduling is, is a big concern. Is it uh, split scheduling? What is the actual answer? And I think a lot of it is going to depend upon the local area, the community, what they see is the best way to keep not only the students, but the staff healthy. And, you know, that makes me think, and I guess I'm thinking of younger kids, but what about the emotional well-being of children? You know, some of them might have lost someone due to the virus, and then now they have to wear this mask, and are they fearful that, well, is it going to happen to me? You know, is it one way on their hallway? Right. How, do you, how do you deal with that part of it for younger kids coming back? Right. We, we started what was called Fund Our Future, a campaign in January, and we went all over the state speaking about what we need in schools. And one of the main things that we got back was social workers, psychologists, people to help with mental health services. So that was a big need before COVID, and now it's an even greater need. So I would say the state and, of course, the federal government needs to invest in those services because, like you said, Students are going to be coming back to school. They're going to be, uh, some of them, in, in uh, traumatized situations. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to feel safe. They're going to need to know answers to things. Why is this? Why Why are we doing that? So there's going to, it's going to take time. It's going to take um, a lot of caring adults to help these students through this time. So everything that we've talked about, too, is also going to take resources. You know, that what is going to does anyone have an idea of the cost of this and how do we pay for it? I mean, what are we up against as far as getting the necessary resources to make schools safe? Right. We've seen estimates nationwide of over 100 billion dollars in increased cost. And we would look to New York State to come out with a reasonable number because that is important for us to say, all right, they're putting in these additional resources because we're going to need them. Is it is it the uh, plexiglass? Is it um, a split session? How many times will that bus route have to make its rounds before um, they've been able to service all the students? So the resources, we know that they were inadequate before this, and now we're going to need even more. So the HEROES Act, the federal act to get the um, state and localities to have the money they need to survive and not go bankrupt. That's crucial. And also, we've been pushing on the state level to have the ultra millionaires and billionaires pay their fair share mm-hmm. when it comes to funding um, vital services like education. And of course, both those issues, um, the, the state AFL-CIO is, is supporting and out there um, pushing as well, right along with you, Andy. So when you're yes. talking about trying to um, make a plan to reopen the schools, do you also still have to have uh, be prepared for an immediate shutdown or I guess the possibility of not going back physically to the buildings? Right. So I remember from when this started, there was a discussion, well, we didn't have a case yet. If there is a case in a school, how do we close? Do we close for one day? Do we close for two days? Is it a week? Is it every time a student or a staff member or or a visitor comes into a school that we close the school? How long is that for? And I I know that we have the 14-day quarantine for folks coming in from 
the states that are peaking in their COVID cases. So we, we have to look at what makes sense because it's not just about opening the schools, but it's also what will we do if we have to close the schools again? Is it just that locality? I remember when um, New Rochelle was one mm-hmm. of the first districts closing. And that seemed, wow, they're closing a school district. And it wasn't hitting New York City mm-hmm. as much yet. And then it became uh, New York City, Westchester, Long Island, and then, of course, it hit around the state. So we have to be prepared for opening and also closing. Will the students have a Chromebook or an iPad or a personal computer that they can bring home with them? Will everybody be ready at a, at a moment's notice, really, to work from home again? And then I guess finally a uh, question I have is just, you know, specifically with your members, I know you you also have this enormous responsibility to try to keep all these members safe. And I'm sure you have teachers and others that you represent who are also concerned, you know, going back and their safety. That's a, ho- a whole nother component to this, I would imagine. Correct. The health and safety of our members and those that they serve is, is of paramount importance. So, We want to make sure that schools not only um, concern themselves with class size, whether it's split session and teaching the whole child, but we have to make sure that we have PPE in the schools. And wouldn't it be wonderful to have a nurse in every school? Mm -hmm. Many people think that we already do, but we don't. So uh, a nurse in every school. And what are the protocols in place if a student comes in and they're ill? So if they come in and they have a high fever, so all of these things have to be taken care of before it opens and not to say, oh, we need to order PPE when there's already a crisis. We need to be ahead of the curve, especially this time. And, you know, you're right with the whole nurses. I would think that has to be part of it and mandatory. How can you not have a nurse in each of the, the school buildings, especially with what we're going through now? Right. What uh, what parent would feel safe sending their kid off to school and, and knowing that there's no nurse in that school? And that is a reality because I remember from my teaching days that we didn't have a nurse every day of the week. So maybe you had a nurse in the school two times a week. Well, that really isn't good enough. It wasn't good enough then. It's really not good enough now. Well, Andy, I know there's still a lot of discussion and research going on. One thing is clear, the upcoming school year will be nothing like we've experienced before. So um, I know you have a lot more to do, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Joining me now on the podcast is our digital director and the editor of the podcast, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Darcy? I'm very well, thanks. So I know, um, so Kevin, you've got two kids. So you went, yep. th- you went through this whole online thing. How old are your kids? 15 and 12. But, and so what so, was that like? Uh, it, was, it was hard. Um, you know, they, they both like their schools. They like their teachers. Uh, they like being with their friends. So, you know, it was a, a big change for, for us. But the thing that we really... Um, noticed a lot was how hard the teachers were working to still provide um, instruction for the kids. Mm-hmm. And, and they did really well. I, I know uh, uh, some kids have struggled online, but um, we were very lucky and uh, can't give enough credit to the teachers. And even for the graduation ceremonies, we have, uh, we live on a court where we had a high school kid graduate and Shenandoah 
where our kids go to school really went out of their way to make it special for the kids. That's and that was great. all that's great. That's all thanks to the the teachers and the and the workers who, you know, went out of their way. And that's great. I don't know uh, how anyone did it having it. my kids are grown, so I don't know how you parents ended up working at home and, you know, kind of monitoring this too and the teachers um are working from home and I'm, you know, many of them have families and kids and also trying to teach and and just adjust to this so quickly. It's just it's so much to have to deal with. Absolutely. I think a lot of parents gained a, a special appreciation for what the, the teachers have to deal with mm-hmm. every day <laughs> when, when they had to be at home and, and try to walk them through some of the, uh, the school subjects. So, And one of the things that Andy talked about, well, you know, with all of what's going to happen going into school now, if that's what happens physically into the school buildings, is the resources that's, that are going to be needed to make sure this is done right and done safely. Um, and I know those, um, the uh, HEROES Act, you've been out there with on social media trying to um, make people aware of what's included in that, which is a lot of money for education, um, and the tax on the wealthy across New York State, issues that we can support. And um, people can go ahead to our website and learn more about that and, and get involved in that support as well, right? Yep. And the, and the biggest thing is in New York, we have Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand who have been uh, big supporters in the Senate. It's passed the uh, in Congress. Uh, so it's really up to the Senate now. Um, in New York, we had, we're in a good position, mm-hmm. but we're trying to reach out to all the other states to have them contact their senators and have them move on this bill. All right. And I'm sure that as a parent and your kids, a lot of questions about, you know, what this is going to look like. Are you going to physically go back? But at any rate, we know that the learning will continue in some capacity, whether it's physically in the school building or at home. Um, But at least uh, those conversations have been going on for quite a while and continue. And um, I think we're in pretty good hands here in New York State. So that's good. Good to know. Absolutely. All right, Kevin, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, stay union and stay strong. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary-treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong. <laughs>